As you guys take your seats, I'm going to ask for all of our New Life kids up to grade 6. You all can head to the back part of the sanctuary today. Fresh off of kids camp, fresh off a little sleep, (laughs) those real uncomfortable mattresses. But man, what a blast. What a blast. Um... Lots of, uh, lots of awesome and amazing things took place at camp this week. I was fortunate to be out for these last few days. And, man, we've got some great folks in our church who serve and some great junior leaders uh, who, um, who make, help make things happen. And um, I'm so thankful we are for each one who took time to, to be a part of our camp this week. Thank you all for praying for our young people this week. Um, we, could make, we could tell you were praying. It made a huge, huge difference. And... Uh, thank you so much for that, remembering them in prayer. And I'll tell you, there was uh, two days where uh, during the morning session there was a Q&A. And um, the, uh, the questions were submitted by your kids, by our children. And the, these were some really good questions, man. And uh, I thought, holy cow, these, these are some deep questions. And when you ask questions like that, that means there's a deep desire to want to know. Part of the, the theme for camp was uh, mystery, and uh, the mystery is found in, in truth, who is God. And so, based out of 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, that's what our shirts tell us. And, um, and so, there was this theme throughout about searching out the truth, seeking the truth. God tells us if we ask, seek, and knock. He'll respond. And so that's what was going on this week, and the Word of God was planted in the hearts and lives of, of our young people. And, um, and so, but those questions that they asked were just pretty amazing, and, 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 um, and, and just, just I, wanna, I want you, I say that because I want you to know that, that uh, what, what happened these last three days at camp, man, you're, we're going to begin to see the, the uh, overflow and the manifestation of all that was planted and done in the hearts and lives of our young people. And so um, I was sitting there looking around at these kids and thinking, man, these, these I know they're a part of our church now, but they're going to be future leaders. They're going to be leading the way. You're going to see them up on stage. You're going to see them right here doing this one day. You're going to see them leading things and being in your place and doing the things in the church. And so I, it's exciting to see that our church has, has a life cycle that is that has a trajectory of future life in it, future generation. Amen? And so I'm thankful we're not just a, a church that is dying out. Uh, one generation is gone, and then we're, we're done. But, man, we're a church that's, that's living the, the dream of God, that is to bring his people together from all corners, from all facets of life, from all generations of life, and train them in the ways of righteousness. So thank you. I say all that to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for pouring into the life of our young people. Amen. Um, Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read the text today and then we're going to pray and dive in. Matthew 16, let's look at verse 1. It says, One day the Pharisees and the Sadducees 
They came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. And he replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. Look down to verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. And others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, But who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Let's pray today over today's word. Lord, thank you so much for your word. So much in it, so much life. And today we pray that you would speak to our hearts, give us what we need to hear, help us to understand it, so that our lives can be greater for it and for your glory, to continue to live for the purpose you created us for. Help me to speak your word, Lord. Let the meditations of my heart, the words of my mouth, bring you glory and bring help to your people. In Jesus' name, everybody can say amen. Great, The late great theologian and author Dallas Willard said, the most important thing about you is not the things you achieve, but it's the person that you become. The person that you become. I'm introducing a series for our summer. So over the June, July, the plan is we're going to travel through John chapter 6 through 15, and we're going to look at the seven I am statements of Jesus that he made, the seven I am statements that he made. You can read about those, again, John 6 through 15, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, truth, and life. And he said, I am the vine. All of these are statements that Jesus said, this is who he said he is. I am all of these. And we're going to take a journey through all of those. But before we get to all those statements over the next several weeks... We're going to look at this one question he asked here in Matthew 16, where he asked them, who am I? Who am I? You know, who we believe that Jesus is will, the, will make who you and I become. Who we believe Jesus is will make who we actually become. If we look at him as some of people looked at him as, he, as the disciples gave testament to, just one of the other prophets, just one of the other guys out there. Then no difference in our life. Oh, we might have a little bit of encouragement here and there, but we will not be 
anywhere close to who God has created us to be. These religious folks came to him, the Pharisees, the Sadducees came to him, and they were demanding and asking him, hey, prove to us, give us a sign as to who you are. Tell us who you are. Show us a sign. And he gave us kind of a slight rebuke to them, and he said, the only sign I'm going to show you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. You look at Jonah, you remember that story, right? Jonah in the belly of the fish. Yep. You can look at that, and he's saying, look, I'll show you who I am with that sign, that story. As Jonah was thrown into the sea, it shows how Christ was thrown into a grave. He was in his death. And he's swallowed by a fish, shown as he was buried. And he was expelled from this fish, showing Jesus being resurrected and triumphing over death, hell, and the grave forever, once and for all, paying the penalty for our sin and conquering death, no more to die, no one ever to die, but to forever live with him. And he goes on and he has his disciples to the side and he he asks them, hey, who's everybody out there? Who's the public? What's the public got to say about me? Let me, let me just kind of side note into this is Jesus was not asking because he was insecure. Jesus was not asking because he needed affirmation, all right? Unlike us, Jesus, we're not, we're, like we and I might do from time to time, what's, what's some people saying about me over there? I got to know what's going on. What do they got to say? He was not asking for that reason. He was asking because he wanted to know where they stood on their view of him for their sake. And they, they told him, you know, some say you're Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some say you're like one of the other prophets, just one of the other guys that's been around. But he goes, okay, what about you, though? And he drills it on, brings it on a little bit closer to home. Who do you say I am? And Peter opens up and he says, you know what? You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You're not... Elijah, you're not Jeremiah, you're not just one of the other prophets, you're not just a good preacher, you're not just a good rabbi, you're not just somebody who can heal somebody, but no, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the anointed one, is what the Messiah means. You are the anointed one, Christ, the anointed one, one who came to conquer and break every stronghold of sin off of our life. You are the one who came to conquer and destroy every stronghold in our, in our world. You are the one who came to conquer death, hell, and the grave. That revelation that Peter had, Jesus goes on and, and affirms that for Peter, that, the, that God gave him revelation of who he was. And you know, when our eyes get open to who Jesus is, that he's not just some good guy, he's not just one of the prophets, he's not just some good teacher that once lived... No, but he's the one who came and conquered death, hell, and the grave. He gave his life for humanity. And in giving his life for humanity, God the Father raises him out of the grave, calls him back, sits him at the right hand of of his throne, and he is waiting for his return. He's Jesus. He's Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one, the Son of the living God. Our lives get changed when our eyes get open to who Jesus really is. When, we, when, it, when it just hits us, when the truth hits us, when his love hits our hearts, man, when the power of God hits our life, everything changes. So our approach and our perception to Jesus 
of Jesus will determine the kind of person, the kind of life we will live and who we really are. That if we just start thinking we're just, he's just a good guy, then we'll just try to be a good person. But if we see him and know him as truth, we see him and know him as Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Man, he has the power to heal. He has the power to forgive. He has the power to break every chain of darkness off our life. He has the power to reach deep into the core of our soul and and speak to the depths of our heart where we have been wounded, where we have been hurt, where we have secret chambers in us. He has the ability to reach on down in there and snap it and change it and destroy it and raise you up restored and healed and whole. That he's not just Elijah. He's not just Jeremiah. He's not just one of the other good guys out there that's been there. He's Jesus who comes to conquer. He's Jesus who comes to love. He's Jesus who has come to save. He is Jesus who has come to deliver. He is Jesus who has come to heal. He is Jesus who has come to make right. He is Jesus who has come to set everything cursed in your life and set you free. If I was preaching this in in India, people would be shouting right now. But I'm preaching it in America, and we get get comfortable, and we get lazy, right? I'm with you. I like AC, and I like a comfortable bed. And I like life to be easy. I like to wake up and hit the easy button, right? But it doesn't work that way, does it? And so... Who we believe Jesus is will make who we become. In the early 1990s, Gatorade created an ad with Michael Jordan. You guys remember, know who Michael Jordan is? They did an ad called Be Like Mike. Be Like Mike. Man, everybody wanted to be like Michael Jordan. The shoes, the, the shorts, the tongue hanging out. I mean, everybody wanted to be... Anybody who ever wanted to play basketball wanted to be like Mike. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see that's how I dream to be. A dream I move, a dream I grew like Mike. If I could be like Mike, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Anybody remember that song? I'm making a fool out of myself at the expense. Yeah, thank you so much for that, that kind confirmation. That's what I was, I was hoping to get. Stop, please, stop. <laughs> Put my, those notes away. But everybody wanted to be, why? Because we looked up to him. And people we often look up to and respect are those that we kind of want to emulate and we want to follow. So Jesus asked this question, who am I? And I think he asked this question because he's inviting us to model our life after him. To follow him. But who is he? He's not just anybody. He's not just a person in history. He's Jesus. He is the Son of God. He's the anointed one. Look at this with me in Romans 8. It's on the screen. The way Paul writes it, I 
chose the message translation. He says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. We could stop right there. That's, that's a message in and of itself. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity that he restored, and we see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him, in Christ, in Jesus. We see the original and intended shape of our lives. Who are we supposed to be like? Jesus. Now, here's the thing. God has factored in his sovereignty over our humanity. It's called grace. It's called grace. It's called grace. And so we don't emulate Christ out of our own strength, out of our own ability. We do so by the power of his word, his, his truth, the power of the Holy Spirit, deciding every single day, no matter what, I'm going to keep my life moving in the direction of Jesus. And each day, his mercies are new, the Bible tells us. Every day, the mercies of God are new. And so each new day, you and I have this opportunity that we've been given to point our life towards Jesus. And God's grace comes and empowers you and I to move forward in what he has called us to. And that's his part. We have a part to play in this too. And the part you and I, one of the parts you and I have to play is, is our, the keeper of our heart. Look at this with me in the book of Wisdom, Proverbs 4. I've chosen two translations. First is the New Living translation. It says this in verse 23, Proverbs 4, 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Look at the Passion Translation. It says, So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention. Everyone say, pay attention. Elbow your neighbor gently. Say, pay attention. Say, pay attention. Pay attention to the welfare of your neighbor's business. Pay attention to the welfare of what your co-worker is saying. Pay attention to, your, to the well-being or the welfare of your innermost being. For from there flows the wellspring of life. So we have a part to play, and that is to guard our heart, to pay attention to what is happening inside of us. We cannot just plead ignorance or plead the fifth about our heart, our heart issues. There, there are conditions of our heart that will determine the type of person, the type of Christ follower we can become. And in Mark chapter 4, I'll give you a minute to get there. Turn to Mark 4. There's a parable that Jesus tells about four types of heart conditions. Four types of heart conditions. These types of heart conditions determine and show who we may be at that moment, but also shows us ultimately the kind of heart you and I can have to walk in 
the fullness of who God says we can be. Let's look at it in verse uh, 3, chapter 4. Mark 4, verse 3. Jesus is saying, he says, Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. And as he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath. And the birds came and they ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up, choked out the tender plants, and so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, And they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And he said, anyone who with ears to hear should listen and understand. And on down to verse 13. Jesus told them that if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? Quick note. If you and I want to understand greater things of God, we've got to first understand the condition of our hearts. We've got to pay attention to where we are. We've got to pay attention to what's going on on the inside of us. I'm not, we can't be the kind of believer, can't be the, have just enough Christian in us to think, well, I faked it today. Nobody knows where I'm at today. Thank God I got by with it today. No, we need to get honest. We need to get real. We need to be a person and a people who not only pursue truth, but allow truth to penetrate us. Amen? I know this doesn't win a whole lot of awards preaching this kind of sermon. I get it. But Jesus tells us, look, if you want to understand more, if you want to grow, if you want to become greater, you want to have more more revelation of who God is? You want him to be bigger in your life? Come on, I want God to be bigger in my life. I don't want to have the things of life tackle me and trip me and contain me and continue to cycle its way around life and, and find ways to penetrate my mind, my heart, my soul, my spirit, and put me back. I want God to be greater in me. I want God to be bigger in me. I want God's truth to be a wellspring in me. I want, I want to see his power flow. I want to be able to walk down whatever store in, in any place I'm at in public, and man, God's love flows out of my life. Amen? I don't want to be the kind of person that when I'm pinched and squeezed and hit, that, that junk flows out. I want to see the true love of God. I want to see the true power of God, the kindness of God. This last few days at camp, they had a thing, special thing called God sightings uh, that they would post. And we encouraged the children to write something down that when they saw God in someone or God in something, to write it down and they would pin it up on the wall under the, under the God sighting side. And there was a wall full of things that, the, that our children were writing and putting up there where their eyes were seeing God in someone, God in something. And it was pretty powerful to hear some of those stories be read yesterday. That, and, and that's who we're called to be, to be able, and for the world to be able to see God's sightings. Come on, I know we live in a crazy, confused, chaotic world. 
Last I checked, it's God who created it, this place. And He is on the throne. And He has called you and I to be His light bearers and His image bearers. Amen? And I know we get tired. And I know we go through things. And I know things are difficult from season to season. And there are some challenges. And there, there's been some stuff you and I have been through that, and you've been through that, man, it, it's hard to describe how painful life has been at times. But the enemy would like to use all of those things against us. But God would like to use all of those things for us. As Romans 8.28 says, God is able to work everything out for our good. For those who love him and who live for his purpose. And so Jesus gives this parable. And he says, you've got to understand this parable. Look at verse 14. He goes on to explain it a little bit more. He says, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. And the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. There's four heart conditions. There's the hard heart. There's the hollow heart. There's the half heart. And there's a whole heart that he gives this description to. This hard person with a, with a hard heart. Heart. It says this is the, where the place where seed, the word of God was, was scattered. The word of God was sown, but it was a hard place. It didn't penetrate the soil. And as a result, it said Satan was able to come and snatch it away quickly before it was ever allowed to ever really try to sink in, for it couldn't sink in because it was, it was hard. It could not take root. And hard hearts tend to stem from undealt issues of the heart, from hurts and wounds and disappointments in life, discouragements in life. One of the encouragements we gave our young people at camp was, hey, God can handle our, our emotions. We can let him know we're upset. We can let him know. I may even be mad at you because I don't understand how everything's working. But once you kind of get it out there and let God know how you feel, take the time to get quiet and let God then go to work on your heart. We can't live with a hard heart. If we live with a hard heart, nothing good from God can ever get in. And we have to be at a place where we have to open our heart up to Him. Because if we live life with undealt issues, offense, jealousy, bitterness, comparing ourselves to other people, what others have, I should have what they have, whatever it might be, blaming other people for our problems, continuing to, to live in that position, then we'll continue to live 
with a heart that's hurt, a heart that's wounded, and a heart that's hard. And that is not what God desires. That is not the heart God desires for humanity. You see these types of examples throughout Scripture. You have Cain and Abel. You have Joseph with his brothers, David with his brothers. You see all kinds of different examples. Jacob and Esau were that way. All these different stories. Even the man at the pool of Bethesda in the New Testament, where he was at this, in this position for 38 years, unable to walk for 38 years. Jesus asked him if he wanted to get well, and his answer at first was, well, I don't have anybody else who can help me. And he's like, that's not what I ask you. I ask you, did you want to get well? And he told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. See, you don't need someone else. You're probably, your problem is you've been waiting for other people to do it for you, and you've been blaming your situation on other people. And he said, I'm here to t- set your life free if you'll let me get into you. If you'll welcome me into your life, then everything about you will change. Everything about you will change. A hard heart searches for healing in everything but Jesus. And the problem is, if we don't let Jesus come in and truly be the healer of our heart, then we'll continue to live with hurt and disappointment and all of those that excess baggage, and we'll also then inflict that on other people. Hurt people hurt people. That's just the sad part about, about it. But the truth is, healed people can help people. And that's where God wants us. He wants to heal your heart. But then he also talks about, there's also this condition of the heart called a hollow heart. And I think, I think these next two is where a lot of people live. The hollow heart and the half heart. The hollow heart is, has a thin layer of topsoil on it, as he gives this description. But it, it's, a, it's a heart that is driven by the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the desires of our carnal side of life. Of what, of what we want. It's a very selfish-driven uh, heart. A, a hollow heart is uh, something that's not very authentic, no, not genuine. It has, has very little depth to it, kind of superficial. Just enough Christianese slapped on it just to look right. But you dig a little, you just go past that inch, and you see there's not much there. And, he, and I believe he gives this parable not as a judgment to anybody, but as a sign, as he says, pay attention, get the understanding of this parable, because from this understanding of this parable, you'll be able to understand so much more. You'll be able to, your eyes will be open to so much more. Your life can be open to so much more that the kingdom of God wants to do inside of you and where God wants to take you. In a hollow heart, finds itself always scorched and wilted because it just is unable to persevere through the trials of life. It just, it's, it, it's, just a, it's a person who just has, has a, a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of truth in them, but, but it's very little, it's very, very shallow, very shallow. And the thing is, that is not where God calls us to live our life in Him. You start somewhere, yes, but the goal is to always gain more depth and more ground in the Lord. 
and that's what God wants to do in us. That let me encourage you if if you're if you're a believer that you you love the Lord, you're a believer in Christ, but man, your root, your roots are very shallow. Listen, it won't be long. You'll find yourself facing some serious storms, and you have and you already have already probably. And the thing is, God says you can withstand these things if you allow your roots to go a little bit deeper. If you allow yourself. If you allow yourself a little bit more freedom in me and let your roots grow down into Christ. And there's this that's half heart, he said. This is a heart that's, that's really crowded and cluttered um, with, with the cares of life and with the worries of life, with the, the allurement and the attachment to the world. That we, we, instead of looking into, the, into, into God as, as the source, we're looking at all that the world has to offer. All the bling and the pizzazz and all the, all the sights and all the sounds and all the things that this world flashes at us, man. And we think, I got to have that, I got to have that. If I get this, and I'll ha- then I'll be, I'll, I'll be stable. If I have this going on for me, if your identity is found in your job, if your identity is found in your, in your uh, clothing line, if your identity is found in whatever it is in this world, friends, you're going to find out that stuff changes so fast. And people drop you like a bad habit. It's tough. It's a, it's a tough world we live in. And friends, the, uh, our call to identity is not in this world. In fact, Paul reminds us in Romans 12, stop copying this pattern of this world. Stop trying to be like everyone else in this world. I'm not saying you can't look a certain way or dress a certain way. It has nothing to do with that. What he's saying is this: is is the the um, the li- the lifestyle, the living, the ideology, and the philosophy, and the outlook on life. Approaching life in a worldly, humanistic approach versus approaching life with the kingdom of God at the forefront and the center of your life. And yes, that's why there are sacrifices that we have to make as Christians. The sacrifices, though, equal great reward. Great reward. Great reward. When we find ourselves making a sacrifice for someone else and seeing that their life can be improved a little bit by something we do for them, man, does that not make you feel a whole lot better? doesn't mean you, you don't, you're not exhausted. doesn't mean you don't get tired. It doesn't mean you, 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 know, you don't feel all those things. But man, when we make those sacrifices for others, there are, the kingdom of God is about the way of making sacrifice. And the sacrifice, though, equals and brings forth great reward because God's kingdom advances and grows on the inside of us. And the stronger his kingdom and the bigger his kingdom gets in us, the more you and I can withstand and the less allurement we have for this world. So you got this hollow heart and this crowded, cluttered heart, and it, the, the, this crowded, cluttered heart wonders, man, why can't I f- live fully alive? What's wrong with me? Why can't I live fully alive? And the answer is because it allows the cares of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things in this world to choke it out. To choke it out, it's driven, and it's and it's it's almost it's driven by fear, anxiety, stress, worry. There's no peace, and there's no joy, 
there's no contentment and there's no steadfastness. There's this, it's, it's this up and it's down. And friends, I wish I could tell you I preach from a place of living that every day and not allowing the cares of this life to ever get to me. But I don't. I don't want to sit here and pretend to you that I have, I have arrived, <laughs> that I have made it, that I, I'm living the dream, I'm on top of the world, and nothing can pull me down. I wish I could live that way every single day, but you, you touch me, am I real? I'm real. I'm here to just encourage you today that Jesus takes the time to say seven different ways, I am. That must mean, man, my heart needs to hear it seven different ways. That he is. That I am. That's what God told Moses when he told Moses and called him from the burning bush. And he said, I'm calling you to go to my people and deliver them from Egypt. Deliver them from slavery. Bring them out of bondage. And he's like, well, man, who, who should I tell him sent me? The UPS guy? No, tell him I am sent you. I am who I am. Capital I, capital A, capital N, I am. I am who I am. God has no conflict over identity. He has no identity crisis whatsoever. And you know what's so amazing about that? That when we let him be fully in us, our identity gets clearer and clearer every single day. It's not swayed by public opinion. It's not swayed by if somebody likes me or not. It's not swayed by if I hear the right thing on the news or not. It's not swayed by the prices of, of gas, it's not, even though I get upset by that, it, I, it, you know, you feel me, it, you know, we feel it, but here's the reality, the longevity of, of, of this thing is that Jesus is real, and that Jesus is coming soon, that Jesus is on the throne, and you and I have a mandate from heaven a calling from God to be who he has created us to be. And then he ends it with this last part of this soil heart condition, a whole heart. A whole heart is someone who has made it their aim, made it their determination every day to live open before God, to not live closed, to not live concealed but to live open before him. It's someone who has allowed Jesus and his kingdom to be welcomed fully into their life. It's someone who, who puts and makes Jesus the center of their life. Not, not perfect, because God's grace is factored in. Not perfect, but with the determination and the sincerity and the genuineness to know and the, hum, and the humility to know, I'm not all there. I'm not fully there, but I am fully open. I'm fully open to what God wants and wants, uh, 
who he wants to be in my life. It's a life where Jesus daily becomes greater on the inside. Jesus daily becomes greater on the inside of me. And then I, in turn, become more fully who he has created and called me to be. Don't put the pressure on yourself thinking you got to have it all together where you instantly have to just suddenly be this persona of a believer that maybe someone else is in your, in your, in your view. No, start with God, here I am, where I'm at, the reality of, of who I am today. This is me, but I want to become more. I want to become greater. I want you to become fuller inside of my life, but it's a heart condition. We have to be at a place where we welcome him more fully. Let's put our, let's put our Bibles away if you can. Just put your notebooks away, all you note takers. answer to the question, who am I? I think it's found in the, in the question of how's your heart? If your heart is hard, just ask Jesus to soften it. If your heart is hollow and shallow, ask Jesus to fill it. If your heart is cluttered and crowded, the worries of life, ask Jesus to clean it. It does, it's not rocket science. But here's the reality, no one else can do it for you. No one else can do it for me. We have to take ownership of the condition of our heart. The most important thing about you is not things you achieve. It's about the person that you become. And God has this blueprint. God has this image for you, for me, of who he has created you to be. And man, if we could just get a glimpse of that, and we could keep that at the forefront of our, of our vision and our focus, this is who he's created me to be. It does not strike judgment. It does not strike that back on us. What it does, it paints a picture. It creates a picture, a living picture of hope and that with him in me, the power of his truth and his spirit working in my life, working in your life, this is who we can become. This is who we can become. I had a young person tell me the other day at camp, they said, you know, and it made me feel good because, you know, a, a young person's not going to lie to you about telling you something like this. So, you know, I, I, like to, I like to hear you preach. I thought, dang, I appreciate that. I'm going to start coming to church more. I'm, in fact, I'm going to tell my folks I really want you to make sure I, get, I wake up and we get to church. And I thought, wow, you can't make that happen. 
You can't make that happen. There's a hunger inside of us. There is a desire that you and I were all created for to have. And the only one who can fill it and satisfy it, it's not more of the world. It's not more of our own flesh. It's more of Christ, more of Jesus. And that doesn't look like a holier-than-thou person. As James opened our service up this morning, let's have fun. God, in Christ, he laughed. Jesus laughed. Jesus cried. If he cried, I know he laughed. Jesus probably told some good jokes. Jesus was real, and he is real. And friends, I want you to understand something. God wants us to understand something. It's not about all the things you and I can work to achieve. I know he gives us brains, he gives us ability, he gives us skill, gives us all of that and opportunities to work, and we should apply ourselves and be diligent. Proverbs talks all about that. Don't be lazy, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Here's the thing. Our identity is not what we achieve. It's who we become. Christ wants to make your life. He wants to be your life. Amen. Can you stand to your feet and close out?